suspense time. Welcome everyone to a very special emergency edition of the Brisbane Football Review. It takes a lot to get us to work on a Friday afternoon, but here we are due to this morning's big news that John Aloisi has stepped down as Brisbane Raw Manager. It's James Scott and Adam here, and we should first of all start off with a reminder you can contact us at any time via Facebook, uh, the Raw Review, we're still working on changing that, Twitter at BNE Football, and email brisbanefootballreview at gmail.com. Let's go back to about 9 or 2 this morning and hear your first reactions when you saw the news that the Raw need a new A-League boss. Scott? Well, it was slightly after 9.02 when I saw it, but again, I wasn't terribly surprised. We all kind of thought this was coming at some point. Probably not today, but we all, I think we all kind of expected a change was coming at some point. I know I thought it would be if results didn't pick up after the Perth Glory game at home next week, but not a tremendous surprise in terms of the fact that a change was made and it might be a decent time for it. Adam? Um, my first reaction, I don't think is fit for this medium because <laughs> there's a few expletives thrown in. I think uh, no something way. In, I, I'm, to be honest, I'm, I'm... Get that curse button. It's, to be honest, I'm surprised they pulled the trigger now. Uh, that's, that's, that was my first reaction. I thought, I actually thought at the end of the, se- the, end of the season, um, just being the way that the A-League seems to operate and you know, coaching coaches seem to have a lot more longer shelf lives than maybe in other leagues around the world. And also as well, you know, given the opportunity to not only try and you know, eke out some results and let go aside, but also that you know, maybe just turns around internally. You know, something was to give. So I'm, I'm really surprised that he, that he decided to resign, whether it was you know, he got the, the little push along the way, but um, yeah, his tenure to be over now, I'm I'm quite surprised by that. Well, speaking of reactions not fit for broadcasting, I pulled into the car park in the office this morning at around about 9.02, and spent a few minutes in my car screaming, holy redacted. (laughs) It was, yeah, for me the biggest surprise was the fact that, well yeah, A, Aloisi resigned, so he wasn't sacked, that's the first thing that we need to make clear, like the way the raw uh, statement was set out, it was that John Aloisi stepped down as boss, so it was his decision to lead the club. And also the fact that it was a Friday, what, 36 hours before they take on yeah. Sydney FC. That was the big surprise to me. Yeah. I thought if it was going to happen, it would be kind of like what we saw with Mike Mulvey, where it would be the morning after a game. Yeah, I thought if it was going to happen this week, it would have been Sunday afternoon, evening, when he got off the plane from Wellington. I thought that would have been the only time before the Sydney game that would make any sort of sense, given we have had Christmas and Boxing Day and all the rest of it. I mean, for it to, ha- for it to be announced, you're right, 36 hours before a game away to Sydney FC on travel day, it's a bit of an odd one in that respect. Which does, of course, beg the question, when did the playing squad find out? Did they get to the airport today and go, oh, where's John? <laughs> Look, in fact, it's sort of the reverberations actually went right around. Apparently, Steve Corica was having his... Um, I was his, watching that live this morning. Yeah. <laughs> his, his morning uh, press conference and that, and when the news broke that um, his his adversary for tomorrow had just... Um, it just resigns, and that caught him completely by surprise. So, how that plays out for the game tomorrow? Well, look, that's a, that's anyone's guess, and I guess we'll we'll deal with that later. But 
And we should also point out as well, we are aware there was a W League game last night, but that'll be covered on uh, Thursday's yeah. regular edition. This is a bonus Brisbane football <laughs> review Good show. result, top of the league. Yep, exactly. Yep. But um, yeah, it's five years to the day for Aloisi since he was sacked by Melbourne Hart. So if is he can just really? get through December 28th, you know, every year, he's fine. Is that legit? Yep. Yeah. Wow. After yep. what? As courtesy of Brenton Speed, yeah. actually, on yeah. Twitter. It's funny how things like that just tend to happen. After what was a pretty embarrassing derby loss as well. I think it was, what, 3-1? Yeah. From where they... I can't remember five years ago, the Melbourne derby, but yeah. I, re- I, yeah. I remember yeah. being on holidays down in Melbourne with my now wife, and we had actually planned to go to that derby, only to discover ticket prices were exorbitant. So we watched that in our hotel room instead. Just random trivia notes. Anyway, three and a half years for John Aloisi. He took over in May 2015. And right now, I want to get both of your thoughts on, I suppose, the overall summation of his tenure. Well, he took over at a really rough point, didn't he? Because that was pretty much just either before or as the real first signs of the financial situation that we were all having were becoming public information. And it was a really tough spot. Remember the story he used to always tell about um, he first arrived and he had no training ground, so he drove around all the places to try and find one. It was a tough spot to walk into, and he actually, given the fact he they played for the premiership in the first the first season, the last game of the regular season, that's a tremendous tremendous when you really think about it to go from a club where you didn't know what was going on to be able to play for the premiership in his first year. That was a tremendous tremendous start for him. It just unfortunately, if him went downhill from there, particularly in the last eighteen months, I'd say the results started to tail away. Look, I think at the end of the day, when you look at his achievements, well, look, there, there may have been no trophies or anything mm. like that. And look, in, in the A-League, it's very, very hard to say. It's a very selective group of coaches to say, you know what, their success can be laboured by the actual silverware, silverware in the in the trophy cabinet. But he did, he did, you know, I was able to get, you know, get within, you know, one game or, and one point of a mm. Premier's plate. Yeah. You know, they did get to, they, they did make, Finals on on consecutive occasions under his watch, um, and look, and they, they're also come out. They can never forget that semi final yeah. against um, Western Sydney Wanderers. I'm trying. So, well, we try and forget, <laughs> but but and look, now I think the most important thing is that you know he did come in in a very very you know rough period for, yeah. in club history, which you know you could almost blame most wouldn't blame most people say oh buggers I'm out. And you know, he stuck at it, but I think at the end of the day, I think accountability for the squad not performing and results, I think, finally caught up with him. And look, I'm not going to. I think a decision's been made. I'm not going to say it's a right or wrong decision. I think that's for history to decide. Yeah. But I guess at the end of the day, a decision has been made, and you know, the club and John can move on. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, this is a quote that Aloisi had. I think we right now. I'm looking at the photo that the A League posted uh, from quote from Aloisi. I'm proud to have made the finals each season, qualified for Asia, and have gone within a point of winning the Premier's plate. Now, look, his first season, he, he was phenomenal. And like, I've said this on our podcast before, I always feel like Aloisi's been on a hiding to nothing with the way that, you know, some people have viewed his his hiring. Well, it like, goes right back to when he was hired. People were expecting a different coach to come in, and then they obviously manager or front office change, and all of a sudden a different front office brings in a different coach that so was expected. So you're right, it goes way back to then. People were expecting somebody else to come in and do the job. I think he was almost actually at Rabina for the last game in the Champions League. He was in the office, in the stands, ready to, to watching the team play, I believe. Yeah, that's right. And then all of a sudden they had a change of front office ownership and then son John obviously gets a job and people were not expecting it. And because obviously he had a less than impressive stint, we should say, at Melbourne Heart, people all of a sudden assumed he was a bad coach. And you're right, his first season was brilliant. Yeah, absolutely. Like, 
that first season, I remember he was, you know, being lauded for what was a very, very successful campaign where he had the likes of Thomas Broich, Brandon Barella, Jamie McLaren, you know, really dominating sides. His recruitment as well with Corona and McLaren was yeah. excellent in that yeah. first year. But then again, as successful as that recruitment was for his first year, I do feel like overall that's what really let him down in the last mm. couple of years where he had those signings that, you know, well, I'll just single out Massimo Macarone, a guy who in theory should have worked out really well, but just unfortunately in practice it didn't. Yeah, look, I think you, you, you obviously when you take on the responsibility he did, because like he, he, as we know, he ran, he basically ran the football department. So the, at the end of the recruiting for good and for bad, like Jamie McLaren was a sensational, you know, you know, recruit, you know, and that was his first recruitment. On the other hand, yeah, you like, you know, spending a lot of money on a guy like Massimo Macaroni, that really put the fan base offside, you know, questions of his age. Question the age of the side in general last year, I think still lingered on. And I think this is where I think guess the fans sort of turned on him in sort of, in some respect, was the fact is, is that this year was supposed to be, you know, okay, last year was disappointing. This was supposed to be better. And in fact, if anything, on paper, it's actually been worse. And yet yeah. he's had everything go for him. So I think at the end of the day, that's what caught up with him. But, you know, it's, yeah, yeah he... Like the recruitment was, for every hit, there was a miss. There were guys like Javier Hervis, Manuel Arana, Ben mm. Calfoy. Those seemed like good ideas, but this didn't ha- happen to work out, unfortunately. So recruitment was an issue at the end of the day as well. And look, we should also point out, no manager is going to have a 100% recruitment oh, record. I think I it's know. just, as it stands over the last couple of years, we've seen probably more misses than yep. hits, and yeah. that's where it really seems to And in the key up. recruits as well, there were misses as well. Yeah, absolutely. I don't, I don't think the fans take too well to, you know, again, it's it's hard to rejudge, you know, where, where exactly, depending on who you speak to about Massimo Macaroni's, mm. um, whether he was a, you know, a good signing, bad signing, mm. fair. But I guess when you spend that much money on a recruit, on a marquee recruit, you know, unless they're, they're scoring, you know, 10, 15 goals a season, you know, really energising that side, it's, it was going to be a failure. And I don't think he ever recovered from that. Absolutely. Not. And I think, Overall, like, you know, obviously the fans are all going to have their different opinions and yep. whatnot, but truthfully, like, you look at the Raw's record as a club since 2010 when Postacoglu came in, this is a fan base that is used to winning, mm-hmm. and truthfully, they can't really, like, they don't really have a lot of tolerance and experience dealing with a club that might not be having the best, the most successful seasons yeah. on the pitch. So, look, we all know the footballing public in, or the sporting public in Australia can be quite fickle. And unfortunately, you know, disappointing uh, run of results in his sec- in Aloisi's second season, the 16-17 one, which was our first season doing this podcast, actually. Then there was also the really, really poor start, admittedly, you know, in part due yeah. injuries last season. And then one win in his first nine games this season, where there's just not that sort of patience there for someone to try and develop anything. And you're right, it's been trending backwards as well. Normally when coaches are there for three, four years, they start to build and building it closer and closer to winning things. Unfortunately, John started off with a great, oh, greatly started off so well, but it's gone the wrong way since then. It's, and you're right, it's been getting worse each year. The second season was okay. They still finished third, but a fair way away from the top two. Did okay in Asia. Last year was obviously a struggle with injuries and the aging side, and this year it just unfortunately didn't click. Yeah, it seems like if, if there's, you can accuse Aloisi of a lot of things, but he always seemed to you know, have a plan on how to attack this stuff. For me, what really stood out was just, I suppose, the fact that there might not have always been an appropriate workaround. And look, I'm not going to dance on the guy's grave because, quite honestly, I, I like when we've there's spoken... There's plenty of that happening anyway. Yeah, yeah exactly. There's only for us to pile on. But, 
you know, when he do- like when we spoke to him at Fan Days and whatnot, when we did that uh, fan forum last, I think September or something, he was excellent to deal with and whatnot. And you know, I, I suppose for me personally, whatever he goes on to next, I wish him the best. Oh, look, that's the thing is, you know, in, in our dealings, even personally, you know, the dealings that I've had with him, you know, obviously with our media stuff and all that, you know, he's always, like I said, he's always been sort of accommodating. I remember, you know, you and I, Scotty, we actually had chats with him after uh, their Christmas their Christmas Eve training session last year. Yes. I, it was yeah. like, I was there too, you know. What, were you? Yeah. yeah. Oh, sorry. You, I thought you had to go early. I, I thought you went early. <laughs> I was supposed to, but then the NFL was a blowout. Okay. Anyway, well, well then, okay, well, I, I can't remember being there but okay well three of us were there um yeah looking a lot like a lot of stuff off the record of course we're not yeah. not gonna go there but like i said it was it was great to deal with and like yeah i think you know, i think in the majority i think the, other than those that really the the, the keyboard warrior trolls yeah. and you know in most cases i think everyone will be most people are in agreement that you now he's, he's he was a very nice guy yeah. you know and all that i just think at the end of the day but something had to give and unfortunately nice guys don't always make great managers and um in this case i think He's paid for that with his job. I do remember a fan forum in his very first year. It was the week after. I mean, obviously, we all remember the bloodbath forum at the Forex Brew. But the week Ooh. after, they had a coach's call for him with, um, with John and Belinda Wilson, the then W League coach. And John went through his tactics really well. He actually drew up on the on the screen almost, I think, from memory. He went through how he wants the team to, to play. And it was really, really interesting. So it was he was very open and honest in his way of explaining things to the fans way back then and still through... Oh, not maybe not so much lately with the pressure building, but he certainly was back then. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so to, uh, last little bit I want to touch on here. Some of his stats, obviously, his longest-serving raw head coach, uh, 108 games in charge in all competitions, 40 wins, 25 draws, and 43 losses. The big thing yeah. here is 158 goals scored and 172 against. Like, yeah. that's not a good record for anyone. Yeah. And when you look closer at the home-away splits, it's the, the home record's not too bad. It's the away record for the goals conceded that was that was pretty pretty awful. There was some I actually didn't realise there were as many big defeats on the road as there was. There were a lot of fours, fives and even six goals conceded yeah. in his time away from home. So that's did become a problem over the years. So that, I'm assuming that includes Champions League. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, because I obviously I remember there's a few few very, very rough nights yeah. um on the road in Asia. But the one the one thing I, t- I take away from these these stats and we've actually Yes, thanks, uh, thanks to Scott. He actually has I might all share the them out later. Actually, he actually has all the um, stats of all the uh, head coaches over, over the history of the club, and the only comparable one is obviously Ange Postecoglou, who's uh, who had eighty four. But again, like I said, forty wins is great. But then Postecoglou goes twenty five draws, eighteen losses, compared to yeah. twenty five draws and forty three losses. Yeah. So it's it's a telling sign that you know. That mind you, the the side that Postecoglou had um, at that squad is you know is one of the greatest in yeah. A League history. Whereas it, you'd be hard pressed to say that you know you wouldn't know where this Brisbane Royal squad ranks at the moment. Probably you know below below five hundred. Fair few notches below that squad. That's for sure. Yeah. So, but yeah, no. Like I said, it's like the amount of wins is okay, but then yeah, the the draws and losses it sort of does pile up. Yeah, absolutely. Like. Unfortunately, that's a big thing. And just looking at that table as well, with the home and away splits, uh, Alois is actually one of, I think, out of the seven full-time managers the Roar have had, or full-time slash interim, including our friends Tyson, only a handful have actually managed to record more home wins than losses. Yes. Yeah, so so remember back in the early days, the home wins were very, very difficult. It wasn't so by. much Fortress Suncorp as it was Suncorp Graveyard. Like, yeah. Well, Miron Blyberg, four home wins, six home losses. Uh, Farina had 13 and 13, Postacoglu yeah. 22 and 9, 
We remember some of those very, very fondly. Yeah. Yeah. Most <laughs> of those nine were in his first, that six months in charge anyway, as well. Yes, with, yeah. Uh, I can't even remember some of those players. Oh, we try, we try. I think a lot of Raw fans try to forget that uh, that period, uh, you know, in 2019. I mean, after Boxing Day, then it's uh, seen missing and then yeah, exactly. the start of yeah. Raw Salona. I actually, yeah, I actually think that's probably that final round game in uh, Postacoglu's half season in charge there. That might have been the last game that I've actually had zero interest in watching. I think it was an away trip to Perth. I don't think I even watched it. Yeah, I was in Fiji at yeah. the time, so I was nah, not dealing with it. <laughs> Anyway, we're going to take a little bit of a break. We're going to come back with some of your reactions from Facebook and Twitter. So we'll be back right after this. This is an emergency Brisbane Football Review. You're listening to the Brisbane Football Review. We'll be back after this. And we're back on the Brisbane Football Review Emergency uh, Aloisi Departure Special. I think that's what we're going to call it anyway. Sounds good enough. James Scott and Adam here with you. And segment two right now, we're going to lead off with some fan reactions. We posted earlier this morning for some of your comments on Facebook and Twitter, and most of the good stuff came from Facebook anyway. And we're going to read out the, uh, how should I put this, more level-headed responses rather than than some of the others. Uh, from Sean Algate, four years a long time to fashion a club, and J.A. did take us through the wage crisis and lack of support from the backeries. He was a gentleman at fan days and so on, but it was obvious he lost the playing group, perhaps the club owners. We need a coach with experience at that second level tier in Europe or experience in Asia. We shouldn't rush this process, and we should also give Darren Davies the support and structure he needs to have some success, and also a very sage point. I do wonder how John's decision affects Ross and whether Ross will be gone in the next day or so. Players need to pick up their game, and they will be playing for a new gaffer with a transfer period yeah. looming. And a lot of those points actually yeah. seem to make sense. It's, it's the first thing I would just bring up is this point about the playing group. He lost the players. We don't know that to be true. Yes. I remember Jamie Young a couple of weeks ago was very vociferous in saying he still has the support of the players. Now, they obviously lost a couple of games heavily since then. Whether that's changed or not, haven't heard anything out of the club this week, obviously, with the holidays, so we don't know. But he's right about looking for a coach with some experience, and certainly in terms of not rushing the decision. Yeah. For me, if Davies has been given the interim role now, which sounds like he has, take some time, do go through a proper recruitment process, identify what you're looking for, and go and find the coach who fits that. Whether that's we'll get into some candidates later, but whatever that is, go and find the best person. If it takes till the end of the season, so be it, because this coaching appointment has to be right. So, Adam, how do you think this is going to impact the playing group? Look, as as with any coaching change, it can it can either work for as in there be a bounce. Bounce, you know, and like I said, you know, all of a sudden, people, when we're riding off the game against Sydney um, tomorrow, all of a sudden, I think even they're sort of fearing there might be a bit of a backlash. Mm-hmm. Um, on the other hand, it might be a case of, you know, same old, same old, and, you know, it's just, and that we may know what we know all the time, that it's not just John and Lucy that was the problem, mm-hmm. and maybe the playing group and their lack of cohesion, lack of sort of a game plan, it just may... It may just come to the surface even more so than you know having John, who did a lot of explaining from Lob, you know, defending the players at times and whatnot. It may come out where you know this playing group may just they just may not get along. It's a clean slate as well. Yeah, players who have had fallen out with John Aloisio were on the outer of selection. All of a sudden, under a new coach, interim or otherwise, mm-hmm. may very well find their way back into calculations again. So it opens up the possibilities of players we haven't seen this season, like a Luke Devere, for example, to potentially get an opportunity. Mm-hmm. That's the right. one, the one point I, I, I really agree with the Sean on is the fact is that you know the fans they they pretty much those especially that were very vocal at Aloisi out, they got what they wanted. Now they have to now get behind Darren Davies. They got the change they wanted. No, like I said, it's it's I don't think we need to be rushing in a new coach 
in the next week. Let, let Darren have his opportunity with lower expectations, and yeah, let's just see what happens. Yeah. I think I think that's the best, I think that's the, the I guess the message now is that you know they've got to allow they've got to allow the new new uh, coach some time, the new interim. Well, that's what the I suppose the next six months is going to be for a lot of these players. It's essentially yeah. just an audition for 2019-20. Well, there's 16 players out of contract, senior contractor players out of contract at the end of the season. So for all those players, you're right, it's an audition for them to either get a new contract at the Raw or somewhere else. So it's absolutely a huge opportunity for them. You also mentioned Ross Elwissi, I think. In his, yes. I'm pretty sure, given the announcement this morning, that Darren Davies is taking over, that Ross has probably gone with John. I think that's, most people expect that to be the case. The Even though it wasn't, probably a very happy yeah, it about wasn't that. announced, but it also wasn't announced when Mike Mulvey left that his assistant, Ron Smith, had moved on. They did that behind the scenes. Yeah. So you, you may not even actually hear an announcement that Ross has gone. Hypothetically, though, if Ross decides for, and this is all hypothetical, for his career advancement, maybe he's better trying to work away from his brother so that okay. it's not always necessarily seen as a type, would you be happy if he decided to stay around? That's an interesting one because I think as a coach, Ross's success, most success actually has come away from his brother. Like he yeah. was, he was um, Matilda's assistant coach for a, yeah. for a time there. And um, yeah, look, it's it's very interesting. But I, I just do think that, you know, I think given the, I guess for lack of a better term, the toxicity of the fan base towards that family, his brother yeah. Yeah, yeah, and all that, I, I think he may be, he may be better off. Mm. You know, departing and, and trying his hand elsewhere. I think. Um, I think that. I think the bird might fly on that. It was also. It was also might have been stronger towards Ross than John as well. Mm. There were a lot of people blaming Ross for the team's ill discipline, so that because he looks cranky on the sideline all the time, it's, it's him that's and he was that sort of player. Yeah. That it was him who was importing that on the team. That may or may not be the case, but that. But the fan base was certainly more critical of him, on, on, other than John, right towards the end. Certainly. All right, uh, this is from Alexander Pollock. Still early in the season, but realistically, the balance of this season needs to be about gearing up and teeing up a permanent coach for 2019-20. It'll take us back to our DNA style of play. Yeah. We need to build a dynamic and injury-free midfield, as I'm pretty sure every club would love to have, as a platform for a much tighter defense, able to win possession back quickly and hurt teams in transition. Well, I, I, just, yeah. I don't know necessarily about going back to that 2010-11 raw Salona style of play. I just want a side that wins. Look, the- the raw DNA thing. What the raw slow is a nice little catchphrase and all the rest of it. But it's not even the start of the raw playing that way because Miron Blyberg's teams played fast attacking football on the front foot. So did Frank Ferenc when they were at their best. Hmm. It's always been the raw's way of play. So if they do go back to that, that'd be fantastic because John's kind of gone away from that to his own style. So if they are going to go back to that, that'd be great. I think the big thing, like for me, talking about that DNA style of play, like the question that I always get asked, what well, I'm always left asking myself is. What does this team do well? Like, you look at, you know, a lot of those successful teams, you know, in the A-League. What do Melbourne Victory do well? What do Perth Glory do well for Victory? It's obviously just pass it to KSK Honda, but... I thought it was poached for all players. <laughs> <laughs> that too. But, you know, you look at those good teams. Even go overseas. Take a look at, you know, the successful sides in England. Like, what do Manchester City do well? They belt teams into submission. And, and the question is, what... With the side that the Raw have right now... What should they be doing well? Uh, it's hard to say what 
they should be doing well with this present squad. But the one thing that always one thing that always comes to mind when I watch Raw teams of the past, and even the W League team at the moment seems to have that, is where they seem to be turning over possession of the opposition, you know, in their own half. That that almost that I wouldn't call it full court press, but at least it's like a half court press where they. Yeah. And that and that's that's been the sign of times. I think that's where there just seems to be a lack of urgency in that in that midfield where they're just letting teams come out, you know, play it into their own half and then try and you know defend from the back and on. Whereas the the great raw squads of the past have always had a propensity to you know really attack the opposition in their own half, turn over, counter attack, you know, and then. You know, go from there. As we are getting, I suppose, a little bit wistful for the Ange days, you remember the likes of what uh, Barbarossa, Salors, and Owen Barisha would always do, pressing from the front. Barisha's mm. defensive work in the front, though, was ridiculously yeah. good. Yeah. It's, but to answer your question, it's so hard to gauge what this team should be doing well because it's been such a poor start to the season. It's hard to really gauge what this group's actually capable of. To me, I'm not even sure what this group's actually capable of at their best because we haven't even seen anything close to it yet. I think one one half uh, yeah. against Melbourne City, and that's it. And that's yeah. Uh, yeah. So we don't we don't even know what. So and I think that's the thing is I think fans need to stop at least at this this squad at the moment. They stop. They've got to temper their expectations a little bit because you're right. We don't know what this side is even capable yeah. of. Like we don't know if they're better off trying to defend and counterattack. We don't know if it's just all out, you know, yeah. attack. It's just it's just like and that's the thing. And that's going to be one of the challenges for Darren Davies yeah. going forward. Is that he has to find a way to get the best out of his side. Yeah. And it may be a case of, you know, you know, yeah. so a bit of recruiting in the transfer window, bring in beer youth and you know and even change the shape of the team. I will say there is a club over in England who recently changed their manager and went with someone completely different and just let them run free and it's worked pretty well for them. So maybe yeah. maybe just taking the shackles off and saying just just play might free them up a little bit and see what happens from there. Instead of just overloading with instructions and instructions and all the rest of it. Just let them play. So what you're saying is bring in Paul Pogba. He's pretty good, that guy. <laughs> He's pretty good. He is. All right. Um, one last uh, one that really jumped out at me here was uh, Chris Meeson. If we're going to be serious, as we were in the fledgling days of Ange Postacoglu, we need to employ a manager with a wealth of experience, knowledge, and player availability. Given the A-League is being likened to the top of the English First Division and lower half of the Championship, not Kuehl or any other startup ex-footballer, it's essential we get back to the pinnacle of the A-League as soon as possible, our rightful place. Well, look, I love Chris's optimism here. And also uh, from Andy... Uh, uh, so what do you think this means for the rest of the season? Do you think we'll get a new reaction slash the new manager bounce? Can we go on a run and make finals? Now, Andy, I'm going to get to that a little bit later. I want to go back to Chris's, though, and say Harry Kuehl was one of those names that re- did jump out for me as a replacement, but what do you think about that idea that maybe that's the sort of level of football the A-League is at right now? I think it's been widely documented that the A-League is roughly around that level for a while. It's probably true, in fairness. It's probably the best team in the A-League will probably compete in the bottom end of the championship most would probably be about League One standard. That's probably about right. Yeah, I think you'd find like teams like Perth and Victory, they would probably be able to survive yeah. in the championship. But anyway, I'm getting a little bit off no, track here, Adam. No, no, no. <laughs> it's, it's actually a good point. I, I, I sort of um, agree with Chris's point about you know we don't want to have you know one of the golden generation land in a job. I, I honestly think for the Raw for Nice next season too, they need an established coach as extend. You know, established identity, established style, and you know, I've been hearing you know Thomas Broach's name being thrown. We'll get around. to that soon. We'll get to that soon. Hold your horses. Uh, okay. Well. Okay. Well, I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll go away from that, but because we'll discuss that at a later date, but later time. But um, I think it, it calls for a an experienced coach right now to at least correct the ship. If if there's a player like that that is that wants to be an assistant coach or something like that, because obviously um, Darren Davies is down one assistant. 
Yep. Now, if he wants to bring someone like that through, then that's fine. But I think, and I think for the raw and yeah. the raw going forward, and the next coach, whoever they bring in, they need to, need to be experienced at coach level. I definitely think it should be an experienced coach. I'm not sure it has to be somebody with experience around the A League and player availability. Because I think you've got someone like Pedro Dinovich here now, who can, can who can help with that side. If it's say an overseas coach who doesn't fully understand the league, there's people here who can help him through that. Absolutely. And I think Pedro Dinovich is probably going to be the sort of person that will take on more of a role yeah. right now when it comes to recruitment and contract negotiations and whatnot, I think, yeah, given I, his previous other experience. Than, other than hauling away uh, Ross Aloisi in Adelaide, <laughs> we haven't really seen much of Pedro Dinovich <laughs> before. So this is probably his time you know, now that where he needs to actually stamp his, you know, stamp his thing as, um, as the football director of the club. Yeah. All right. Now, we're going to take one last break and then we'll come back and look at, I suppose... You know, what the rest of the season holds for Brisbane Roy and maybe a little bit further down the line. We'll be back right after this. You're listening to the Brisbane Football Review. We'll be back after this. And we're back on the Brisbane Football Review. John Aloisi, departure emergency special. It's James Scott and Adam here. And... For our final little bit of uh, stuff talking this afternoon, it's Friday afternoon if you can't tell, <laughs> and even though we've had uh, Christmas, it's been a very, very long week. Now, uh, we should start by talking about the interim manager, Darren Davies. Uh, according to Wikipedia, he's a Welsh footballer, Yep. as uh, the screenshot Scott just put yes. in the room. I didn't put it in there, Adam put it in. Okay, Adam, sorry, force of habit. I think he um, <laughs> came to Brisbane straight from Wales and played for Redlands, didn't he? Yep. Yeah. And he was coaching... For victory, um, their youth league team, an assistant or second assistant to Kevin Musket for the last couple of years. Yeah, he has certainly had a wealth of experience in Australian football, obviously. Uh, yeah, worked at the Academy of Sport, uh, Melbourne Victory. He's also been an assistant with uh, Ange Postacoglu's Socceroos squad oh, as well uh, during the Confederations Cup. So he's got a pretty decent track record, at least of being the number two guy. And I feel like I'm comfortable bringing this on right now. When they Raw announced it, he was going to be hired as an assistant to Aloisi. We did wonder if this sort of stuff was uh, in consideration yeah. where he would be an appropriate interim manager. Yeah, look, I think um, I think it's sort of it might, when we think back on it on his appointment. Um, yeah, you know, I guess he, he, in a way it was a bit of an insurance policy, just in case what happened today was going to happen. You know, at least you've got someone who is dependable. Because like I said we all, I think we all knew that. You know, if if John got the sack, Ross would go with him. So that's you. That's two guys gone. Mm. So I think having that experienced um, and that experienced sort of assistant coach now stepping into interim role, um, I, th- I think it's a good thing. And look, he's got the pedigree to you know perhaps actually you know make it as a um, as a first team coach at least. If that's know, what his ambition yeah, is, exactly. We like I said we haven't we haven't actually had the privilege of speaking to him or you know knowing much about him other than what we've seen you know in his resume. But um, yeah, obviously. Mm. A lot of coaches, you know, they, they want to become a first-team coach. Whoa, 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 whoa. I'm just totally off this guy now. He's a Tottenham uh, youth player. No! So I'm done. <laughs> He's in. But, but with, with Darren Davies and also Drew Sherman probably going to step up, mm. take an assistance role with him in the short term. That's a tremendous opportunity. If you're looking at some of the young players getting an opportunity to have uh, the youth team coach stepping up into the A-League side and an interim coach who's worked in the, with youth in the past, that's yeah. a great opportunity. If, you, if I'm in that youth squad, I'm thinking, great, I've got an opportunity here now. Yep. Yeah, I would. Like, I think we are going to see Drew Sherman probably taking on a little bit more of a role, but I still, I'm not sure where Sherman sits as a candidate for the full-time job. I think he's going to be better served working with the academy and the uh, youth squad. I think squads. if he was going to be into that role, he would have been the interim announced this morning. Yep. 
Certainly. All right, now, Adam, you kind of teased this a little bit before. Thomas Broich is a candidate. I'm not too keen on that idea, A, because I don't think he's totally qualified yet, and we've seen that issue come up mm. a while ago with uh, Ramon Tribule. Yep. So I think uh, Broich, as far as we know, is still doing his qualifications over in Germany. Let him keep learning. Yeah, and look, I'm the other concern with Thomas Broich is that, look, Great player, genius player. I think and that's a word that you know probably the one of the great, the best, best import, the okay, the, the best. best import the A League's ever seen, the best player the A League's ever but, seen. But you know, like I said, Australian football's ever seen. <laughs> sorry, yeah, sorry, <laughs> go Adam, ahead, Adam. Sorry, <laughs> interrupt your train of thought. Yeah, um, yeah, but like I said, we all know that you know sometimes great players don't make great coaches, especially sight unseen and. Look, at the end of the day, the worst thing I could possibly think of happening is that, you know, despite the sort of the urges of fans to, to you know, get him involved, as even as the coach, is that in a, in a year's time when things don't go right, you know, they alienate him as well. And that would be the worst thing we have, especially when he's got no track record of, of being a, you know, first-team coach, even if it is in the A-League. Yeah, exactly. Well, we've seen what happened to the last... Uh highly successful player that the Raw hired as a head coach and what that's done to his opinion, at least in this yeah. corner of southeast Queensland. In all seriousness, if he does go and become a coach somewhere else in Europe to start off with and get some experience and he wants to come back to the A-League, then great. But yep. first job out of his education, I would love him to go and get somewhere experience elsewhere before he comes back German here. German third division or something like that. You know, that, that would make me a lot yeah. more comfortable with him, his coaching skills and whatnot, than yeah. sight unseen other than there's only thing on his coaching resume is, oh, you know, he yeah. was he's a legend at this club. It's more just for him to cut his teeth elsewhere instead of walking straight back into expectations here at the Royal. Because they did announce him next week as a coach, hypothetically. The expectations on what he, that people would expect him to live will be through the roof. Yeah. Just based on his playing career. People yeah. would expect that sort of football immediately from him. All right, so those are the, I suppose, raw-centric candidates that we're aware of. Coming up, though, I want to talk about some of the uh, local candidates that we know from NPL Queensland. And with apologies to Rob and everyone at Lions, I hope you'll please let us back (laughs) with uh, some of our discussions lately. Warren Moon seems to be the best option out of the NPL Queensland. Yeah, look, um, yeah, that's that's success for him. Everywhere he's been... As a coach so far, he's been successful. He, he is again. He's a former. He's a former raw player. Yep. You know, for those who who were followed the raw back all the way in the foundation days. Um, but like I said, he has. But he has been successful. You know, at an NPL level, and as an Australian coach, there's not much more he can do. Maybe look. Maybe with a better bit about planning and whatnot, and sort of you know exceeding expectations. You know, Lions could be playing. Could be the you know the NPL champions of Australia. They, mm. they were within. You know, they were in the midst of that. So, look, I think as far as credentialed result-wise, I think, you know, Warren yeah. might be, you know, he might be a very, very strong candidate. And I think he actually did have a brief stint coaching with the Raw under John Lewis in his first year as well. So he's been around the A-League setup before as well, which is also important. If you're bringing a coach from the NPO, you've got to have the right structure around him. Yeah. You've got the right people supporting him around the place and also give him time. Because if you're bringing a coach up, it might take them a bit of time. And Ben Khan's on a great example. Those two coaches last year... The way they adjusted in-game against each other was brilliant. It really was. You couldn't go wrong with either of them if you're going to give them a chance. And uh, yeah, and uh, Ben Khan is obviously the other leading candidate. And he, he has, yeah. a, he and he definitely has got experience you know, in an A-league environment, being a, being an academy coach at um, at Central Coast Mariners yeah. before before coming up to Olympics. So again, he's he's another one that you know has got experience. That, again, 
it is it is a big like like players. It is a big step up going from you know I guess you know pro am up to fully professional. Um, like I said I guess you know for Warren it'd be a case of you know would he be able to leave his job to be able to become you know Brisbane Raw head coach if the, if those cards present that way. So there's a lot of questions on that. But you know what? As far as and if the expectations weren't so were not high, you say you know what you let you let him learn on the job as such because at a lower level. They're proven, both him and Ben Khan. Absolutely. And, you know, we talk about, I suppose, the adaption process for a coach coming in from outside Australia to the A-League. It is that same sort of jump up, as yeah. you mentioned mm-hmm. there before, Adam. Uh, one of the other names that has popped up, of course, uh, would be Gray Piddick and also his brother, Adam. <laughs> so we've got, we, you know, we've we're got a favor- list of thousands here <laughs> we could go through. Yeah, we're not yeah. going to play favourites in the Piddick household, but... No. <laughs> Brothers coach well together. Yeah, absolutely. Um, interstate, though, we've got the list Arthur Pappas, Chris Taylor and John Anastiatis. Yeah, they're coaches who've been linked with, with A-League jobs in the past, particularly Arthur Pappas has been linked quite heavily to a couple of jobs in the past, and John Anastasiades is... Thank you. He's, he's the Bentley Greens coach, people who can't quite remember or recall. Done a great job for that club in the NPL Victoria and in the FFA Cup, proven that he can coach against A-League opposition. If you're looking interstate for an NPL coach, he's probably the pick. As long as it's not the Heidelberg guy. I still remember yeah. that night at Lyon. I mean, you can call him Johnny A as well. It's perfect. <laughs> Johnny A for Johnny A. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, yeah. honestly, those guys are probably a little bit more appealing than this list coming up. You've yeah. obviously got, as we've titled them, the A-League cast-offs. Paul Ocon, Josip Gombau, Scott Miller, Kenny Lowe, and Ante Milicic. Surprised that merry-go-round doesn't see, say, Frank Farina, Miron you know Blas, well, actually, Vidmar. You know the scene from The Simpsons where they walk across the stage into that rejects thing? <laughs> yeah, that's what this well, is. Actually, speaking of Miron Blyberg, he actually spoke to Dave Lewis at SBS earlier today. Yeah, this was what I was telling you about before oh, in our group yeah. chat. Um, and he said, I've got, I'm not actually all that interested, but there's nothing wrong with going for an experienced option. Hmm. So, out of that list... Look, I suppose maybe Scott uh, Miller or Ante Milicic. Of that list, I'll go with Milicic. Yeah. He's yeah. coached under, with Graham Arnold, with Ange Postacoglu, with Bert Van Marwijk. He's worked with some good coaches there. He hasn't had an opportunity yet himself, but out of that group, I, I'd go with him over any of the others, that's for sure. 12 and months ago, I would have said Gombau, but after what happened at the Wanderers, I'm out. Fair, fair yeah. call. I'm, like, uh, Scott Miller, I believe, well, he, he, I think, was positioning himself you know, as Team 11's coach, given that he is coaching the area. I don't know why that's going to leave him now. Um, yeah, this, I'm not, not really feeling it with the sort of the, the, sort of the um, merry-go-round at the A-League level. I just, yeah, I think there's better options. I think you can Other take, clubs can yeah. recycle those guys. Actually, the one name that I'm just drawing a blank on as well, more from the NPL level, who, who's the uh, ex-Pride uh, ex, uh, coach? Uh, Graham Harvey. Thank you. Yes. That's another name. Coaching over in Hong Kong now, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of Aussies coaching abroad, <laughs> you've got Mehmet Djurakovic, Harry Kuehl, John Hutchinson, Stu McLaren, Mirko Jelicic, and Ange. <laughs> yeah. It's amazing what Google can dig up when you search it a couple of hours ago. Never heard of Mirko Jelicic. He's coaching over in Uzbekistan of all places. And doing reasonably well as well, so... Well, having seen some yeah. of the Socceroos games in Uzbekistan <laughs> yeah. and looking outside in Brisbane right now... <laughs> Yeah, and also, uh, I think John Hutchinson was also a quite well-regarded coach at Central Coast before he moved over to Seattle. I don't know how that's going for him, but he was reasonably well-regarded. It might be an out-there suggestion, although probably not the most popular in Brisbane given some of the some of the instances we had with that rival with the Mariners. But yeah, well, if he had have had his penalty saved in that 2011 Grand Final, <laughs> he'd be a lot more popular. He but, would have been. Well, speaking of John Hutchinson, though, well, the fact that he's in Seattle might actually work well for him because he is, I suppose, working 
in a setup that is kind of similar to the A League and the Australian sporting market. Yeah, look, um, you know, yeah, it's one of those ones where again, you know, you, you'd almost it's a leap of faith. Mirko Jelicic is very intriguing for yeah. me, if, if in my opinion, just because um, of the unknown factors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, that, and so and sometimes look again. I, I my worry going forward, I think I've said this a number of times now on this on this show, is that you know the, the fans need to temper their expectations for the next guy. At least in the interim, and and like I said, maybe having an unknown um, quantity as far as other than his coaching overseas at a decent level might actually be a good thing rather than sort of trying to sort of put his resume on the wall and say, oh, if you don't if you don't meet that benchmark, you, you know, you're gone. So that uh, yeah, look, Harry Kuehl, I'm not not a big fan of, not because of it. I just think again, you're running the risk put, of more of the same. Yep, the yeah. same, and also as well, he's had history with. Both Melbourne clubs, so there. Uh, Mehmet Drakovic is an interesting one. Um, I think he was. I think he was a bit, a little bit unfairly treated with victory, mm. as such. Um, he's he's actually going right in Malaysia, I do yeah, believe. Malaysia. Um, yeah, but um, and not Lance Postecoglou. Well, <laughs> hey, it doesn't matter. Angie, Angie, right? Oh, that's <laughs> our that's plan A, B, and C. Hey, with the way the Mariners are going, Mike Mulvey could be available soon. <laughs> Just, just throwing it out there. Yeah. And some overseas candidates as well. Like, obviously, there's a whole world of football. It yeah. is the world game. But some of the names that uh, we dug up, John Van Schip. Let's just get that over with quickly. Yep. Was apparently released from FC's Waller recently. No, thank you. Yep. Yeah. Decent Ramon... coach, but only mid, middling around the A-League. You should be going for higher. A popular name that's been mentioned before, Ramon Tribule. Depends if he's actually got his um, coaching accreditation. I believe he hasn't because apparently New Zealand football don't offer an A a um, a pro license. Yeah. So if he hasn't that, got it. It's redundant. But a great a great coach if he was available. Yeah, but bring you, back that raw style, quote unquote. If uh, just hypothetically, like obviously a name that's been thrown around there before. If he said, "All right, I'll go and do my qualification over the next X time period," could I like? Would you take him? Given his success at Auckland City, um, look, you, you would because you know again, winning is is contagious. Even though they haven't really got that much opposition yeah. in the um, what's it, the IPS ISPS Hander Premiership, one of those, yeah, called? something yeah. like that. Um, Cap three, I'm sure. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure our Kiwi friends can help us with that. But yeah, look, um, obviously his record, you know, and that in sort of even though it's a sort of a sheltered league, it's still like yeah. he knows how to win. So. Yeah, but my my problem, my problem with him is his, his lack of qualification. He was a serious candidate four years ago for the job. He'd yeah. be a serious candidate again if he was prepared to do what you suggested and get the accreditations for it. One uh, one familiar name, obviously, for some of the early days of the Raw, Shin Young. Uh, no for me. Great story it would be to have a player come back to the club like that, but his style of football at Korea Republic in the World Cup wasn't the greatest. People don't haven't taken a John Aloisi's counter-attacking style. This guy takes it to a whole new level. So that wouldn't wouldn't work in that sense. Yeah, no. I, yeah, look, I um, I'd love I'd love to see it, but you know, you bring up a very good point, Scott, and I and I actually, yeah, I agree on that. Is that yeah, his like we talk like the fans are very enamoured with you know style of football and his style. Even though he took all sign all the way to a Champions League win, yeah. that style of football would turn a lot of people off yeah. because it is very results and counter based and not the raw style, unfortunately. Speaking of, cross the next guy out too. <laughs> well, actually, I was going to finish. I was going to finish the candidates off with which of the angry old uncles from the Premier League would you prefer, Arsene Wenger or Jose Mourinho? I'll take your guy, Wenger, thanks. Because he's actually got worked in Japan previously. He did a nice job setting up a club over there. So I don't know if he'd take an opportunity like that here in Australia or not. But if he if he was actually interested, he's probably not. But if he was, he'd be 
amazing at setting a club up. Well, if you believe the report, Sydney FC did contact him when uh, what's uh, Graham Arnold left. Okay. Oh, look, uh, <laughs> their pay pack will be more than the entire salary cap. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, what's the FFA got left in that marquee fund? <laughs> Not enough. <laughs> the marquee manager fund. Yeah. <laughs> I all like right. it. Yeah, all right. So that's the list of prospective candidates. Obviously, there's a lot yeah. of exciting possibilities, There's Scott. others... The Asian League's also all just finished in East Asia, for example. There may be some coaches released there. The Asian Cup's coming up next week. When the group stage is over, coaches might be released. There's going to be a bunch of names coming up available. Graham we could, we <laughs> Oh, yeah. If, that if it goes it's wrong, definitely. <laughs> but there's there's a cast of thousands out there you could look at. Yeah, there's actually, there actually, if you look at the Asian Cup previews that have been going around, there are some very interesting names. There are some interesting names are like coaching over in um, UAE yeah. in the, in that tournament, that, which would actually be quite interesting if they were to be found themselves unemployed after that event. Yeah. So, so yeah, but um, it's interesting times ahead. Absolutely. Look, it's a weird situation to be in as Raw fans, but at the end of the day, there's a lot to yeah. like. There's a lot to be excited about. Look, I'm gonna you know wrap this up with my final thoughts here and say this is still a squad that has plenty of talent in it. We've yeah. seen a lot of you know, we've seen these players excel very, very well. Like, we've seen Adam Taggart win the Golden Boot before. We've seen Eric Bortiak have moments of absolute brilliance. Back in the midfield, Alex Lopez is a phenomenal passer. And, look, let's be honest, does anyone want to go near Avram Papadopoulos? Because if I were a striker, I'd be running the other way. <laughs> and, of course, we've got Jamie yeah. Young. Yeah. Look, at the end of the day, I think, as I said at the top of the show, look, a decision's been made. Whether it's, whether it's right or wrong is for history to decide. Um, but look, I think there's still plenty left to optimism. And, and for me, the biggest point I want to make going forward is, is, is my message to the fans. Yeah. Is that you, most of the, if the claim is correct that the majority of people want John Elwood to see out, what is stopping you now coming back and supporting the Raw? That's, that's got to be the key. You can't carry on and say, oh, Elwood will see out and then, then still not support the team. You know what? The, cast has, the die has been cast now. At least get out there, support teams, support these players, support the new guy, and let's just see what happens. Yeah. Final thoughts, James. It's, I think it's the right decision if the timing's a little bit odd. For the rest of the season, I want to see as many young players as reasonably possible or realistically possible that are ready, get an opportunity in the A-League. Let's see what the extended squad of the Raw have got to offer going forward, and hopefully... I hope they take their time and get the appointment right and we, they find the right coach for the Brisbane Royal going forward because they need to. That's it. Absolutely. Now, coming up right away for Darren Davies is, of course, two pretty you know interesting clashes. Obviously, we've got mm-hmm. Sydney FC tomorrow night, Saturday, down at Jubilee Stadium. And just as an interesting yeah. little stat, Brisbane are on a four-game losing streak in the A-League. Yeah. Last time they went to Jubilee Stadium, they were riding an Australian record 36-game <laughs> unbeaten run. The, la- the Raw's record losing streak in the A-League is five games, which was kick-started the last time they went down to Jubilee Stadium in December 2011. So Thursday's games unbeaten starting Saturday? That's exactly what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. it is inter- start, start planning yeah. that parade for me. So it is interesting, though, because this squad was named yesterday, we assume, by John Aloisi picking the squad to go to Sydney, and now it's a different manager taking the squad. Is there going to be any changes in who travelled? Did that... Did some of the younger players travel that we don't know about? We'll find out tomorrow. Well, probably, but Christensen reinstated because yeah, he, we'll find one, out he was tomorrow, one of the high profile ones left out. So certainly, we should see if the squad changed before That's after it. the announcement today. And we should, of course, just say once again, best of luck for the future for John Aloisi. Obviously, there were some rough times there in his yeah. time with the Raw, but you know, I'm going to remember a lot of the fun that I had in that yeah. first season with you know Broich, Borello, Jamie McLaren, and whatnot. And yeah. 
Yeah, once again, for him and his family, best of luck for the future. Thanks, everyone, for listening to this very special emergency edition of the Brisbane Football Review. Scott, Adam, thanks for coming out here and saving me a trip yeah. to the gym. No problem, James, Adam. <laughs> yeah. Talk we, to we don't Happy New Year to our listeners. This time we promised it is our last show of the year. Yes. We hope. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, happy New Year to all our listeners, and uh, hopefully 2019 gets off with a good start. Yeah. Certainly, yeah. Enjoy the football this weekend and on Wednesday night against Newcastle. We'll be back with a regular, regular show next Thursday. Otherwise, have a good weekend.